Hey, welcome back to The Influencer Economy, episode number 68. My guest this week is Jim Louderback. Hey, welcome back to the show, Stories from the Influencer Economy. Each week, I profile and speak to a maker, creator, or online visionary launching the next big thing in media. So happy for Jim Louderback, my guest. He's a new friend of the show. He runs the business track for the industry at VidCon, the largest online video convention in the world. He's a former CEO of the pioneering media company, Revision 3, that was sold to Discovery a few years back. So he's an executive with awesome experience. I was completely energized by this conversation. Jim's one of those people who understands fan communities and online creatives and how they interact with companies. So it's a 5,000-foot view of the online universe from a business person's perspective with a great creative bend to it where Jim has this energy that I think is awesome. I hope it translates to you all listening to the show. So I want to remind everyone this episode is brought to you by the Influencer Economy book. It is coming out in January. I have yet to announce that. So go to influencereconomy.com slash book for all the details. I have eight chapters written. If you love the idea of helping make the book better, I'm crowd editing the book. So anyone listening to the show, reach out to me and I will give you a shout out in the book if I use a suggested edit from you. So influencereconomy.com slash book. I have the Freddie Wong chapter completed about Rocket Jump. I had the Bill Simmons chapter completed about his foray into journalism and many, many more. Without further ado, here is Jim Louderback. Jim, could you explain for the people who don't know what VidCon is uh, exactly what goes down in, at the Anaheim Convention Center every year? Sure. VidCon, uh, people have called it Comic-Con for video nerds and video geeks. It really is a place where online video creators, some of the most famous creators out there from YouTube and now other places, Vine and Instagram Video and uh, Snapchat and Periscope, get together with their fans, their community. So that's kind of the core. It's a community event for fans of online video and online video stars. But as it's grown, it's added additional um, sort of tracks and audiences in the world around online video. What I think is cool about it, like you just hit on it, it it has this fan element to it where the fans of creators like the Vlog Brothers or Grace Helbig, Hannah Hart, they can go and interact with their favorite. They can get a selfie. That was the big thing I remember last year was you get a selfie with your favorite YouTube creator. But then there's also the, uh, the industry there as well, and it's unique in that sense that both of those worlds are combined. Yeah, it really is. It's the only place I know of where you can have fans show up, and there are you know, 15,000 fans last year. Uh, who get to listen to their favorite creators talk, who get to get selfies or autographs, uh, who get to be in the same place. And also, because online video uh, is a very community-driven thing, it's not just being able to see, touch, and hear your favorite creators, but also the audience around it. So if you're a fan of the Vlogbrothers or if you're a fan of Grace and Hannah, you can hang out with other fans of the same stars and connect with them. And that connection of the audience to each other, I think, is as important as connecting with the creators themselves. And then, as you said, all these additional elements that are built on top of it. It's the only place I know where you can go to an industry conference about anything and have all the fans of the conference there as well. Um, it really brings home the power of what online video is building. And so when you talk about the, the different fans of people, like what do you mean by they get to meet one another, like the fans of Hannah that may be different than like Freddie Wong's fans? 
Well, I'll give you a perfect example from the early days of Revision 3. So Revision 3 was started in many ways around a podcast that ended up becoming an online video podcast called Dignation. And it was um, Kevin Rose and Alex Albrecht sat on a couch, drank beer, talked about the top stories on Dig each week. And we had a huge audience, huge, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that loved it. We would do live Dignations. And like we do a live one at Stubbs at South by Southwest every year in Austin. And you know, there was more than enough room for anybody who wanted to get in. It was just 3,000 people could get in. But we would still have people line up all day so that they could get in. And they did it so that they could hang out with each other. So the people in the line had such a good time meeting each other. It really brought home that it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a one-to-many sort of audience. It was a many-to-many audience. That, yes, they were self-defined by their love for Dignation and Kevin and Alex. But that self-definition allowed them to want to get together with each other. And we see this happen to lots of other things. Think about Star Trek conventions or science fiction conventions. You don't go to a Star Trek convention to meet Captain James T. Kirk. you got to hang out with people who are sewing tribbles and do have ears and phasers and dressed up like uh, you know Klingons. Um, same thing with whatever your geekdom and fandom is. It's as much fun to get to know other people like you as it is to get to know the object of your fandom. So one of the theories – I have uh, ten principles for the book – one of them is uh, meet, meeting people IRL and being accessible, and that's such a different element for the video star is that they have to go out and meet people, and they're more approachable. They're not these golden celebrities that we're used to. They're actually friends, people that you consider because you know them. There's a certain intimacy that someone like Grace Helbig has with their community. Like how, how would you describe that and how it manifests at VidCon? Uh, absolutely. One of the earlier fans of Dignation – a guy who uh, actually created our, our, our fan uh, group said it isn't a fan base, it's a friend base. And I love that word. Yeah. It's a friend base. And, um, you know, and, and I think you see this traditional television has all these barriers that exist between you and your audience. You got teleprompters, you got PR people, you got dark rooms, and you, you've got all these barriers. And, and if you're in traditional TV, you know, most people on TV hate their audience. They don't want to touch their audience. They don't want their audience coming near them. They're scared of their audience. Whereas online video basically removes all those barriers. And even in the, in the early days of vlogging, it was just a camera and you, and you're naked. And you're just sitting there being yourself and talking to people. And the audience responds, and they see you as their friends. And um, you know, Phil DeFranco, you said this when, when I talked to him a bunch. He said it was very much like these people that, that, that knew me I was having a conversation with them, and it was as if we were having a one-on-one conversation. Of course, we weren't. But then when someone would see me in the street, they'd walk up, and they'd pick the conversation up where we left it off as if we were having it together. And that is a very powerful connection, and it's that friend-to-friend connection, not that I'm a, I'm a star up here on a pedestal, and you're a lowly little fan down there, you know, just hanging out waiting for <laughs> morsels of greatness yeah, to drop. praying that they grace you with their presence. Right, exactly. So that um, and the ones I think who have been best at online video, creating that authentic connection, are the ones who embrace that. And uh, not this VidCon, but a couple of VidCons before. I remember um, seeing Phil DeFranco and uh, I Justine and uh, Shay Carl on a all on stage together, talking about the connections they have with a fan and how you know the, they they know that they are nothing without their fans. And when they come up, they'll do, you know, they'll sit there and they'll talk to them and they'll do autographs and really whatever it takes because they all know that their value is in the relationship they have with their fans. And they love seeing them and they'll do anything to figure out a way to make it, make that connection tighter. 
why is there the value there? Like, what is it about these people, like the creators themselves? Like, obviously, the medium sets itself up where you can interact and comment. And you're like TV, you're talking to someone, but YouTube, you're talking with someone. And you're actually like you're saying, Phil, Phil DeFranco picks up the conversation. Like, what's in these people that make them get it? It's a certain sort of ability to relate to a camera and be themselves in front of the camera. And it's, it's just a different format of video. It's a format of video that allows you to, you know, speak into a tiny little glass eye and do it in a, in a way where you believe, and it comes to the camera, that you're actually having a conversation with someone right on the other side. Are you able to do that? Not as well as they do. <laughs> Have you ever vlogged before? Yeah. I mean, I've done a bunch of stuff. I've, I've done television shows. I've done vlogs. I've done YouTube shows. I've done a bunch of that stuff. Um, I'm not as good as they are. Not, no way. Yeah. Um, you know, otherwise I'd be doing it for a living and, you know, um, but, uh, there's a rare talent that can do it, but the people who can do it are great and well, they're real. And the beauty of the VidCon experience is how it's grown so much. And I went to the very first one when I was at machinima.com back in Los Angeles. And we were at a hotel in Century City, part of Los Angeles in this like Hilton, I believe. It was a Hyatt. A Hyatt. I remember there was a guy named Michael Buckley who hosts a show called What the Buck. Yep. And he has these fans that everyone's making content around Michael. And I had never experienced before where the fans were collaborating with their, their heroes. And so I'm trying to have a conversation with Michael. We're having a beer. And people are coming up asking if they can make a video with him in real time. So not only is Michael making content for them, they're making content and videos back for Michael. And I, I, I thought it was weird. I thought the apocalypse was coming. Um, but then I also realized, wait, I work at Machinima. We need to embrace this because yeah, right. there's a generation where everyone doesn't know what it's like to not have a cell phone camera in their hand. So what did you think about that first VidCon compared to, to what it is now? Because you never would have imagined. Like back then, Machinima was a sponsor, and we, we knew online video was a bet that most of us were, were betting on that it would succeed. But to actually see it happen is so hard to fathom. Yeah, it was just so amazing. I mean, it was it was Century City in the Hyatt, um, downstairs in the basement, 1,200 people, uh, fans. You know, a lot of fans of Hank and John Green from, uh, you know, the, the Vlogbrothers really started it. And a lot of their fans, a lot of the nerd fighters and the people who love that. And so there are all these kind of little subcultures, um, you know, Michael Buckley. and uh, but, but the subcultures, that's the key part because everyone had their groups that – you talk about being in line at a Revisionist 3 show for Dignation. People are like you. It's like you had to meet these, like you meet people online, but then you're like, wait, in real life, we're actually not too different either. It's almost like a, a sense you can identify with people that are out there. Exactly. Like, they're like me. Exactly. And you have these communities that form around these stars or these online video personalities of people that are very similar. And uh, and I think that was one of the, the true powers of it is – you know, you had all the, the Hank and John Green folks, the nerd fighters, and the people who like Dan Brown, and the people who like similar people to that. And then the more entertainment-focused people like Michael Buckley, and you had I, Justine, and Shay Carl, and, and all these people that had people just, just loving what they were doing and really spoke to them. And uh, the ability to... The, and the neat thing about VidCon is that it, it was, A, the collaborations that went on, not only between the fans and the stars, but also the stars and each other. So, you know, I, Justine, doing something with Shay Carl. I don't know if that actually happened, but I'm sure it did. Um, but that way that they worked together so that they cross-pollinated their fans. And the fans who showed up were like, well, I don't know who this, you know, Mika Kitty is, 
but boy, she's I love her songs. She's great. So I'm going to listen to that. And so the fandoms actually grew up too. And the other aspect I thought was just hilarious. So it was over the weekend. Um, this hotel is connected to the biggest, at the time, the biggest talent agency in the world, CAA, across the street via an underground tunnel under the Avenue of the Stars. And I guarantee you that nobody in that building at CAA had any clue what was going on. No. Um, I remember a couple people that I liked. One guy, um, Mike Vorhaus from Maggot, the president of Maggot Consulting, a big consulting company, works for traditional TV. I knew him because we've done some stuff together. I was like, you have to come down here on a Saturday and have lunch with me. And he's like, why? And I said, I'll make it worth your while. He walked in and he was like, oh, my freaking God. <laughs> Had no idea what was going on. It was so powerful. Stuck around for the whole day. Uh, I finally got him on stage at VidCon this past year. But there's, um, there's a, like a, a love that people have for one another. That it was, at, that, back, at that point, I didn't realize it was that small with only 1,200 people. But there was like a feeling like I know you or I know a friend of you or I've seen you on videos right, before. Right. Like there was certain like mutual like feeling each other out. Like wait a second, you're here, I'm here. There's something more powerful going on. And when you're on the internet, it's so big and vast. Like you don't get that this something like VidCon could exist because it, in a lot of ways it validated everyone. Yeah, and it's just really weird to think about this whole online video experience. And you know, it all happens online. It all happens via you know comments and community and suggestions and all that. And then, wow we get together face to face and it just even extends and deepens the experience. And so I think that, you know, from, you know, from uh, virtual space to meet space is a really important transition. And that's one of the things that Hank and John sort of figured out early on and made happen. How did you start? Did you meet them at the first VidCon? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, we may have talked to them beforehand. I can't remember. Um, but we definitely met them there. And then how did you end up getting linked up to be the creative director of the industry track? Well, oh, so that was so, you know, gotten to know them there, helped them out with their um, with what they were doing. I think I spoke year two, um, and then you know, as they added in the industry track, they started. For, first of all, they started doing an industry day beforehand. Um, so that That's second right. year, they did an industry day that was the day before. Spoke there, and then and that was that, still at the the still at the, at the Hyatt, yeah. yeah. And then the next year, they moved to Anaheim. So um, years three, four, and five. And we, um, you know, we helped them with the content. We definitely helped them. Um, you know, we sponsored as Revision 3 and then as Discovery. Um, and so I got to know these guys and, you know, really liked them and what they were doing. So I, Revision 3, the online video company I was CEO of, and I sold to Discovery. I stayed at Discovery for two and a half years. Left about a year ago. And, uh, you know, right after I left, I was going to take a little time off. But I called Hank and I was like, you know, that industry track was okay. But, you know, might need a little bit of, uh, you know, if you need any help, let me know. I'm not doing anything. Um, so he called me back uh, a week or two later. It's like, hey, you know, we're adding this new track. There'd only been industry track and community track. We're adding this new creator track in 2015. And we actually really need someone to go run our industry track. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, sign me up. So oh, no way. Yeah. So, so it's kind of right time, right place. And so you weren't necessarily planning on jumping into something right away? But... No, I was going to take, you know, a couple months off. But uh, it was too good of an opportunity to refuse. So I was like, yeah, sign me up. But that's sort of a labor of love, right? I mean, obviously you're getting paid for the job, but I mean, the video world, it's, it's still like so exciting. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it's, was awesome. It still is awesome. And, uh, so it's, uh, being associated with VidCon is great. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, like behind the scenes of VidCon that are really interesting too, as it's grown, you know, it's become a real big, it's a big event, 21,000 people. And, 
you got uh, you know a lot of creators and you've got a lot of fans. And then I brought a whole bunch of CEOs and execs and just coordinating all of that. You know, you're basically building a city of 21,000 people in three days and building it up and then tearing it down and making sure everybody is comfortable and well-fed and enjoys themselves and there's no, you know, nothing happens, nobody gets hurt. That takes a lot. <laughs> Were there any worlds that collided behind the scenes that you're like Glozella or, you know, someone like, you know, met a executive and you're like, wow, this is amazing because these people never would have met. Yeah, you know, I think the the most interesting thing that happens is where you get people in the traditional online video industry or the traditional TV industry or the advertising industry. And, you know, I would bring these people in and they'd be like, oh, my God, they see all the fans. Like, I had no idea how powerful this was. I mean, it's Beatlemania. Yeah, in many it really ways. is. And um, so, There's screaming, you know, there's an example. Screaming teenage girls. Exactly. So it wasn't so much that they met someone that they didn't know. It was more that the power of what we're building becomes is, is written large and right in front of you, and you can't get away from it. And I just everybody, even from Mike Vorhaus, who I brought to the first one, who was blown away, Who's that? to um, in 2014, a lot of different uh, folks from ad agencies came with with uh, YouTube sponsored a lot of them to come. And I talked to some of the people I know. They were like blown away. And, and this year, Rich Greenfield who's probably the number one analyst covering media out there um, for BTIG. He's quoted New York Times on CNBC all the time. He really is number one analyst covering media. And I had him moderate this uh, session on the future of online video. And he showed up with his 10-year-old daughter, Michaela, who's a huge online video fan. But he was blown away. You know, just the power of the it's community. So you know, he was prepared for it, but he was not prepared for it at all. I feel like the term blown away is so overused. People that pat themselves on the back. They're like, oh, I had a meeting. Frankly, I think I, I, I blew them away, you know, because I pitched them on this big idea. But what you're saying is so true that if you don't see it, you don't get it. And yep. having thousands of screaming teenage girls up and down escalators waiting behind curtains for stars that they've seen on, on their mobile phones that their parents have no idea who they are. Like, I, right, I, The exactly. funniest thing is seeing the parents there. And they're like, yeah, uh, I mean, we're familiar with this this guy like Shay Carl and the Shaytards and – I guess he has videos with his kids, but the parents just go along with it, and it's just hysterical because it's it's Beatlemania. You're right; like the pandemonium of the fans is so loyal. Yeah, and just the the connection um, that they have, and that the fact that these are their friends, but it's also something that that they're just so overexcited to meet, and uh, and, and just seeing that is just it's for anybody. It's eye opening. It's amazing. And the people like pay it back, like Freddie Wong. He takes photos with everyone, and they pay it back to the fan in a way that there's there's no other community like that. It's like yeah, I mean they, yeah, we have the you know we we VidCon was much more organized this year in how they set up signings and how they you know made sure that because you know it, it, when you've got twelve hundred people and somebody that everybody loves walks by, you know you got thirty or forty people. Wow, that's a big deal. When you've got 21,000 people and somebody they love walks by and you've got 500 people chasing after them, that gets a little scary at times. So a lot more organized. and But still, you've got these folks who are spending two, three, four hours signing autographs and talking to everybody yeah. and um, making sure that everybody who wants to can feel connected. And that's such a big deal, and I think that's so special. Yeah, it is. And how, how do you – the connection part, like – it just makes me happy, and I can't say that about a lot of different types of experiences, especially because, like, how many Asian filmmakers do you see out there 
there's Freddie Wong on YouTube, right? There's right. there's all these like you know Hannah Hart, you know, as far as like she doesn't make a big deal, but you know she's a lesbian, and you know she's people that write her letters that say or emails that say, hey, you helped me, you know, feel better about myself. And it's like you don't get these types of folks on TV as much. Like I think there was one Asian network show this year, Off the Boat, that was on yeah. ABC, and that was like one of the first Asian like only cast. Like I love the underserved like TV communities or entertainment communities that on YouTube are are there. Yeah, it's you know it's really interesting. I I was um, the top content guy when we launched a cable network in 1998 called ZDTV. It was a technology based. Oh yeah, it's about you know it was geeky. It was about PCs and technology, and you know, we we launched that, and we were basically um, we were in Las Vegas, and then we were on those big old satellite dishes. I mean, this was before Directv. We weren't even there. We were like you had to have cows in the front yard and and a, a big satellite dish in the backyard to get us. And we would get these emails from people, uh, and, and you know, in in like a town of five hundred people in Iowa, and the emotion was I was like, oh my god, I had no idea there were other people in the world like me. Who are geeks? I'm in a town of 500 people. I'm the only geek here. I didn't know anybody else yeah. existed. Thank you for doing this and for for exposing this world and being my community. And that connection that there are other people in the world like me is sort of just there's a direct line to that and what we see at VidCon and with these online video creators. And there is, you know, whatever, whoever you are, whatever you want, um, there is a community of people like you who will support you, and somebody will sit at the center of that who becomes the fulcrum of the community, but not necessarily the focus of the community. Right. They don't necessarily need the spotlight. Right. They're not doing it for the spotlight, but as a byproduct of what they do, they are the focal point. They'll balance that out, but necessarily they're not the most important part of it. And Hannah Hart or Freddie Wong or, you know, you could go on and on and on. and, uh, And I think that's amazing. If there's one equalizer that YouTube and the internet in general has done, it allows you to find your geek passion, the stuff you geek out on that you may not even get paid for, but the stuff you can talk at a bar, at a coffee shop for hours to find people that you didn't even think existed because you live in the middle of – like I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, right? Iowa. See, I didn't even know you were from Iowa. Yeah, I grew up in Des Moines for the first 15 years of my life, and I didn't have the internet growing up because it wasn't as booming as it is now. But the fact that, like, if I had these geek passions that only I cared about, you could find someone on YouTube. Or you could find, like, uh, people in the comments. And there's this, like, I'm not alone type feeling I get whenever I'm at VidCon that I'm too old to really <laughs> have it resonate. Yeah. But, like, just seeing, like, the eyeballs of people in, like, I don't know. It's just, it's amazing. So did you ever, do you know Chris Perillo, by the way? You know I, who he is? I know who he is, but I don't know him now. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, he's from Des Moines. Oh, he is? Yeah, so he was one of our early hosts on Tech TV, ZDTV. Um, I interviewed Tom all... Merritt, actually, yeah. for, and he was ZDT oh, yeah. back in the day. Tom's awesome. Yeah, yeah I love Tom's him. another one. But so he was a host, um, a geeky host, um, and uh, grew up in Des Moines. He does this, he d- used to do these events, and he did one in Des Moines. I actually went to Des Moines to do it. Oh, with. no way. Yeah. So, uh, but it's an example of, you know, people come from anywhere, and that's that passion. Uh, and so, you know, that geeky passion existed in Des Moines, even though you couldn't find it. Well, so when you uh, like were at Revisionist Three, that was early, early like video days. Like Dignation was one of the like I like the the fa- you said the fandom. Yeah, like, friend base. It's friend, it's friend base. base. Not a fan base. It's a friend base. It's a friend base. Like and so like, were you always passionate about online video and like the the communities around it? Because you 
came from the PC world with a or PC mag and ZD TV. But I mean, in general, like obviously you're you're early as like a thinker creating content for the web. But was the community aspect something that you're you're really passionate about? So I was always passionate about niche communities around technology and geekdom in that way. So you know, even before I even got into media, uh, and my first job media was a magazine at Ziff Davis called PC Week. Uh, I was involved in the online community of PC Girl. I was a reader of the magazine, but their online community was on CompuServe. If anybody remembers CompuServe, um, we'll, but we'll put a description in the uh, show notes. Yeah, CompuServe is sort of the precursor to the internet uh, in many ways. Um, but anyway, CompuServe um, was basically an online bulletin board, and uh, I was a member of the PC Week online community and bulletin board. And that's how the guys at PC Week got to know me and ended up getting my job there. So I was always a big fan of was online that in San Francisco. Uh, no, this is. I was living in New York City, and PC Week was in outside of Boston. Okay. Um, Ziff Davis was also in San Fran. When we started ZDTV out here, which is how I got out here. Um, but so I was always a big part of those communities, and so I've always been passionate about communities around um, things that you love. Like I was a geek. I loved PCs. I loved, you know, building them and and doing fun things with them. And then I found like people, and you know, and so. When we launched ZDTV, it just it really just accentuated the fact that we were focused on technology and PCs and 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 you know tech and there were all these geeky people that were part of our community and connected with us and we connected with them. And then with Revision Three, as online video, it's, it really started when um, Apple added video to podcasts. And so once you could do video podcasts, we started doing video podcasts with Dignation and uh, a bunch of others and. Uh, and those, and we were doing Techzilla at Zef Davis even before that. Can you explain what uh, Revision 3 was and Dignation and just the whole All right. world you were yeah, in? I'll, I'll give you a background on that. So, so ZDTV Tech TV was online, uh, was a, a cable channel, a cable network about technology. It got sold to Comcast and they rolled it into G4, which was their video game right. TV network, um, and basically killed Tech TV off. We've built this great community of people that love technology and loved our hosts and wanted more, you know, whether it was Patrick Norton or Alex Albrecht or Kevin Rose or Martin Sargent. And, but there was no place for them because they weren't video game geeks necessarily. So a couple of them, David Prager and uh, Kevin Rose and Alex Albrecht, left and created this company called Revision 3 and said, look, we're going to do shows like what we did on Tech TV and ZDTV, but we're going to put them out on, on uh, iTunes uh, as a video podcast. And so at the same time, Kevin started Revision 3 and started this company called Dig, um, which is an online news aggregator. Um, they raised money for both companies. Which was massive. Which Dig was going through the roof. Yeah. I mean, it was just on a, on a you know, huge rocket ship. It was ship. bigger than Reddit. I mean, it was huge. Oh, yeah. It was, it was bigger than Reddit. It was, it was bigger than, you know, StumbleUpon and all those. Uh, I think it's a whole other story about what happened there. But um, for, they raised money, but the they needed podcast. It's for the next podcast. They needed somebody to run Revision Three, and so you know they knew me because they all worked under me in the content world at Tech TV, um, or you know you know we we're we we're connected, and so they reached out and they're like, "You want to come run this thing?" And I was editor in chief at PC Magazine at the time, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, it sounds like fun. I'm passionate about video, passionate about what you guys are doing. Startup scene sounds like fun. It's in San Francisco where I live." Um, so I went to go be CEO of Revision 3, and we started out doing these video podcasts and putting them on iTunes. And there were 30 or 40 different online video services out there at the time, including Rever and Blip and Break and um, all these oh, yeah. ones that you, uh, you know, just ones we can't even remember. Yeah. 
Um, so we were on all of them, including YouTube. We had a good deal on YouTube. And over time, YouTube became the winner, and we more and more started focusing on YouTube. And in the end, we ended up becoming more of a YouTube multi-channel network like Machinima uh, and a bunch of others. And so that was kind of the history of Revision 3. And so then you guys built different shows around geek passions and geek interests and, you know, yeah. PC, Apple type Video of games. games, you know, mobile phones, apps. Um, you know, we ended up moving into the science space and, uh, you know, we talked to, we did even fandom around anime and we even a show about my little pony for a while, you know, so we, we went out there and you were the CEO Yeah, and it got acquired CEO. by discovery. Yeah. I sold it to discovery in 2012. So what's your skill set then as CEO? Cause you're tapped into these creative communities and worlds, but you're not necessarily making vlogs or hosting your own shows. Like what makes you qualify? Cause you sound like you've like. A, a great aptitude to understand the creative process, but also build a business off of it. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I hosted uh, shows at Tech TV, ZDTV. I was the host of a show called Fresh Gear for about three or four years. Um, I did my own YouTube show for a while at uh, Revision 3 that was kind of fun. Um, wasn't anything great, but it was fun. Um, but, you know, I'm more, I'm, I'm not the most creative person in the world, although I see fun stuff where I see it. Um, but I think I, I, I definitely know how to build editorial products and know how to reach audiences and know how to build teams that do that. Uh, and then in the end, when a CEO, your job is hiring people, making sure you have enough money and setting the strategic direction of the company. So I guess I was pretty good at that too because we ended up you know, selling and everyone made a little money. How was the transition to Discovery? I was fine. I've worked at big media companies before. They were really, really happy to have us there and uh, they were a great acquirer. Uh, and so you know, it was a lot of fun for... You know, almost three years, well more than two years. Um, but eventually I, I got to the point where I was like, yeah, I've been there, done that. I'm going to go and uh, and take a little time off and do some other stuff uh, and jump back into video at some point. And then the VidCon thing happened. So it happened more quickly than I thought, but it was fun. And and so you're CEO, you know, by, by as background, you're an executive. Why are the Vlog Brothers, why are Hank and John Green like the right people or why were they the right people to start VidCon? Well, I think in general they're visionaries, but I think Hank in particular, um, they're both extremely creative. I, I like Hank is Hank is in many ways the Steve Jobs of our online video world. It's just he doesn't want to own the world; he wants to change the world. And so you look at what he does and the businesses he builds, and how he uh, works with communities. He wants to change the world and make the world a better place. But he has the brilliance and the vision and the insight and the clarity of focus. He could be Steve Jobs uh, for online video if he wanted to. I just don't think he wants to. He wants to change the world, not own it. And so that's why he does more love than that. Though that's what? you, what I love that, and that's why you know I'm super psyched to be working with him and his team. Um, but I also think that's why he was the right guy to build VidCon. Are you saying that he he doesn't want to be Steve Jobs and that he doesn't need to have the attention or control everything? He'd rather give up control to do a lot of different things? There's a difference between building a huge company and owning the world, which is what Apple really was. It's like, how do we become, how do we own, how do we dominate? How do we become this huge, you know, the, the number one, co versus changing the world and wanting to do what's right for people and communities. And I think when you look at Hank, he wants to change the world. He wants to make the world a better place. He doesn't want to build, you know, a huge enterprise that owns the world. So what's it like working with someone like that? Who thinks so right. big? Right. I mean, he's got, you know, he's incredibly principled, which I love. Um, you know, most events, um, you look at the speakers and people are on stage at events, 
and it's like the sponsors. It's like a pay-for-play at a lot of events, where if you sponsor, it's like, yeah, we'll put you on that panel. We'll put you here. We'll put you there. It, I wouldn't have worked in that environment. The thing that I love about what Hank did uh, has done with VidCon is he's very much around, um, you know, the the content that you put on and the sponsors are completely separate. Now, where it makes sense, great. But just because you sponsored doesn't mean you get a speaking slot. And for me, that was like, that is absolutely the way to work it. And I love that. So uh, that was awesome. And I think that's one of the reasons why VidCon's so great. I love that. I, I've... I get invited to speak at different events and the, the best ones are like they set you up and you're like, oh, this looks interesting. And then they send you the, the term sheet. It's like $2,500, you get a table. And $5,000, you get this keynote. And you're like, wait, what? Why am yeah, I right, paying right. to speak at yeah. this event? Who's attending? And so there's something about VidCon that has, a, has no agenda, like, or at least it started with no agenda. So how do you maintain that with the industry track? Well, I think um, you look at the vision that Hank has, which is very clearly – this is about the community and creators. This is the entire show. Hold on a minute. My dog's chewing on something. I have no idea what. Okay. Um, yeah, he's chewing on my control key. That's Wait. not good. What kind of yeah. dog do you have? Here, I'll show you. I have no idea how my control key got oh there. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, this is the true power behind VidCon. This is the dog that made it happen. <laughs> what's, what's your dog's name? Uh, Winnie. Winnie. All right, Winnie. Hey, Off Winnie. you go. So, anyway... Um, <laughs> By the way, so, I went to Chote, and you went to NMH. We oh, should... you went to Chote? I got busted at Chote in the girls' room. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. It's all right. Yeah. All, yeah. So, sorry sorry I've been that. to Chote. I, no, it's all right. It's fun. Chote was nice. Yeah, Chote's a cool school. It's a beautiful campus. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's NMH is a beautiful campus, too. Yeah, we used to play you guys in soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, um, anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, before Winnie came in and chewed your yeah. keyboard? Yeah. Uh, how you keep, like, the no agenda... Oh, yeah, right, right. So, so when... when uh, Hank started VidCon. It was all about community and empowering creators. And that vision that VidCon is about creators. How do we enable creators to make better video, to find their audiences, and to do great things? And that permeates everything, even the industry track, which is you know, basically about how do we make money on this online video world. But it's all about how do we empower creators. And one way to empower creators, obviously, is to make sure they get paid enough so that they don't have to worry about all those other parts of life and can just do their thing. So that vision of creators come first just runs through everything. And I think that, um, you know, even as I think about how to build the industry track, it's all about that uh, as, a, as an underlying theme. So it's helping the YouTube creators themselves? Or make- any online video creators. I mean, VidCon started out as a YouTube thing, but it's much bigger than that. This year particularly, I mean, Vine stars have been slowly taking over a lot of VidCon, well, last two years. And their fans are crazy. Their fans are crazy. Their fans yeah. have so much passion. Um, and, and by the way, a lot of them are, are YouTubers who've moved over and yeah. some of them aren't, but this year we have Snapchat, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got, uh, Periscope and Meerkat. And so, uh, you now, and all these different places where people are building audiences and fan bases, friend bases. Uh, and so it, it doesn't matter. I think it's not just YouTube anymore. It's a creator on any platform. And so how, how does the industry track change then with all these other platforms that are harnessing video? Uh, we just have to focus on them and talk about what makes them different and how you take advantage of them. And so, for example, you know, we had a couple of case studies from brands this year talking about how they use YouTube, but also how they use other online video platforms. So Mountain Dew came in and, and talked a little bit about when they launched their energy drink around the Super Bowl, they used Snapchat and, and YouTube and a bunch of other services, how that worked and what they learned. We did a, um, 
uh, a seminar series where we had a lot of seminars, and some of those seminars were involved in you know how to work with Facebook and how to work with Twitter and best practices. I had the head of video, Baljeet Singh, who used to be at YouTube, uh, on the main stage talking about what he's doing with there. We had um, Jason uh, Kyler from Vessel right. on the main stage talking to Hank Green about the things that they're trying to do as an online video platform. So it's really just talking about best practices and what's going on and what the future looks like. And the industry track, I really look at the industry track as having a number of different, um, you know, our audience is, sure, it's big creators, but it's also multi-channel networks, but it's traditional video. It's um, advertisers and brands who want to figure out how to take advantage of this world. It's investors. Uh, it's people building the platforms and the services. So all those people want to make sure that we describe the world in a way that, you know, they get something out of it. So then are you, when you say online creators, do you mean brands as online creators? Is brands are online creators for sure. But I also mean the online creators are building big businesses. So, um, you know, it's a Phil DeFranco and, uh, and um, you know, and, and I, Justine, and uh, anybody who's, you know, Che Carl and all these people who are building businesses around online video and doing a good job of it. So how did you go about booking the different people and the guests on the track? Is it like you just reach out to tons of people or is it? Um, how hard so is it? I imagine it's much it's easier. So, so it's got to be a lot easier now to book people than it was when it first started. Yeah, well, I, I definitely a lot of people wanted to be on at VidCon, but there were a lot of people I wanted to bring that didn't know VidCon or didn't, you know, said no. Uh, there were people who said no. Um, but basically, what the the process for me was: okay, what are the themes of VidCon this year? So we sat down with the VidCon team and and Meredith Levine, who helped me with all the uh, content creation and development. Okay, what are our five or six themes? All right, out of that, what are the panels we want to do? So we came up with about 20 different panel ideas, of which 15 we ended up doing, um, some of which we didn't even come up with. Other people did. We came up with uh, the fact that we want to do a main stage of these, um, uh, of these uh, fireside chats with top execs. And then we said we want to do a, a track of um, help and seminars. And so, for example, uh, once we had the panels that we wanted, we started coming up with who are our you know, dream team of people to be on this panel? Who's going to moderate? And then who do we want on the panel? We get our moderators for each panel. Then we talk to the moderator. We say, well, we want X, Y, and Z. Who do you want? And they'd be like, well, I really like X and Y. Well, what about A and B? And so we get that list, and I'd say, do you want to talk to them? And they'd be like, no, you do. And then I'd reach out, and hopefully they'd all say yes. Um, on the main stage, it was a lot of CEOs and leaders and, and, and you know, some unexpected folks as well. And for me, that was very much a recruiting thing. I had to go out and convince some people to be there. Um, but I did, and that worked out. And then on the seminars, we had a bunch of ideas on seminars. Um, we also invited other people to give us ideas of what they wanted, and then we picked them. So it was kind of a mix, but we all it all started with what's the core of what we want the content to be, and then who are the best people to recruit to make that content come alive. And the content just being the live, in-person it, Well, it's the, it's the panels or the keynotes or the fireside chats or the seminars. So how do you like? How do you make it consistent though? Because you have like uh, Jank from the Young Turks. I think he had a uh, a fireside chat. You talk about vessels. Uh, Jason Killer or Killar had a fireside chat. Tyler. It's this is how you pronounce his name. I learned this. It rhymes with Tyler. Tyler. Jason Kyler. Uh, Kyler. Jason Kyler. I thought it was Killer and then Kylar. It's like <laughs> no, it's Tyler. It rhymes. He's with got that Tyler. his whole life. I imagine. Yes. Like how how do you be consistent? Because YouTube is the beauty of it. It is it's for anyone and everyone. But then it's also how you know pinpointing on like the different types of themes that you're focusing. Well, remember one of the themes that that was that it's more than just YouTube. It's all these different platforms that have exploded, and you need to make sense of it. So, you know, and you know, one of the other themes was um, 
you know, clearly we thought the future of, of news on platform was really interesting. And so that's where um, the Young Turks, but also Jeff Jarvis, who interviewed him, you know, I, I told him to interview each other. But Jeff really wrote the book about the future of online video and news and TV news. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to see how it was developing. You know, and then we had Albie Hecht come in from headline, HLN, which is not even headline news anymore, who's make, making the first social television network. So those were sort of that, you know, what's the future of news content in this world was one of the themes that I wanted to focus on. What did you think about Jenk and the Young Turks with their news? Their channel's massive. Yeah, they used to be part of Revision Three early on. They were, I think, they were the first, or the second non, you know, YouTube star we signed at Revision Three. Oh wow! So I've known those guys for a while. They're great. They're awesome. The Jenk is brilliant. Uh, such a smart thinker, and you know, they're actually seeing incredible success on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And they're also part of Victorious, another platform that you know we yeah. had as part. And they're, so they're seeing good stuff there too. So, um, why do you think their work resonates? With their videos, because um, I interviewed Jenk and he was so they crowdfunded as you know their studio and so I'm literally like they just finished their studio and they're like why don't you just come in and do the interview here and so they cleared out the whole studio and I videoed it and it, they were so generous yeah and there's something about them and how they come across that it transcends through the videos well because they're real and authentic but they're covering really important interesting weighty topics with a point of view right so I, I just think. There's there's an outlet for what Jenk does, and I remember when Jenk was part of Revision Three, and he got his deal with MSNBC, and he was in New York, and they were trying to do it, and it was just there was, you know, it's like the early days, but you could tell there was such a great audience that responded to him and reacted to him, and I think that he's just built on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a final question: Is we can talk about Annette and Choate on the next podcast? Yeah. How you got busted? <laughs> um, for, for being in a girl's room. I was. I was busted for being in a girl's room. Do you know which dorm? No. So uh, let's say that, that, yeah, I have my reunion coming up. I'm going to uh, <laughs> my 20th. I'm a little getting long nice. in the tooth. But let's say like YouTube is this big circus tent and like you have all these different attractions. Mm-hmm. Like what, I mean, what what is the, what is the passion behind like why it all works at VidCon? I think it all works at VidCon because everybody is real and everybody is passionate and everybody is authentic in themselves. So there aren't a lot of people trying to be something they're not. There's a lot of just people are themselves. And I think an ability to go somewhere where you're yourself and you're sharing in what makes you you and finding other people that share the same passions. To me, that's what makes that work, what's make, what makes Comic-Con work. Although in many ways, Comic-Con's been taken over by the brands. There's yeah. still that sense of passion. Um, and I, I think that to me is if you're a fan of online video and online video stars, there is no place else on earth you want to be than Anaheim during VidCon. And that's why it's so good. You should do the movie trailer for VidCon. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for coming In a on. world where everybody is yeah. passionate. In a world in Anaheim, you need to belong. You must go to Anaheim. Everyone and anyone has a home at this Find your people. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Uh, Cool. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Really excited that you were here this week for my episode with Jim Louderback from VidCon, from Revisionist 3, from Discovery, CEO 
executive extraordinaire, really smart guy. So thanks for listening. And wanted to say, since you're listening at the very end, I'm now uh, going to rename the podcast. It's called The Rhino Show. So happy about it. It's R-Y-N-O. And, of course, uh, an old nickname growing up that I had from a long time ago that isn't really used anymore except by a very small handful of people. But I'll uh, go into the rebranding of the show uh, later in another episode. But, yeah, I had to, I had a lot of names. I got a lot of feedback from listeners and friends of the show. So the Rhino Show is going to be coming hopefully October. I don't have a, a date yet. I think uh, – it's going to happen organically, authentically, hashtag all of those words. Have a drink if you're playing at home with authentic as a drinking game word. But yeah, it's been a long time coming and have a mascot I'm working on. It's a new logo. So anyway, uh, these shows are great. And I think what I love about the podcast is it really fueled the book. So now the show I'm hoping and envisioning is going to be the Rhino show, be broader be less industry specific around influencers and the economy of that world because the catalyst of the book was the podcast and the podcast, you know, really helped catalyze the book in a way that I'm not sure the book would exist if it wasn't for the the podcast. And I'm entirely not sure the podcast would exist if it wasn't for the book. So they are yin and yang with one another and the influencer economy is going to go to be the book website and the rhinoshow.com will be, my new website for the show. So really proud about that. And I, I just feel like the questions will be different, but the content will be the same. It's going to be the same show, same feed. Nothing will change on iTunes, but I will have a new name and a new logo, and hopefully it will be a bit broader and not just focused on the influencer culture and definitely not focused on influencer marketing because that's not what I'm about. And I'm keeping it as a business show, which for me is important because I think there's a lot of bottom feeders in the podcast world for business shows. I think podcasts are amazing and life-changing for some, but there's a culture that permeates about you need wealth and you need $100,000 for success and you need six steps to master becoming a millionaire. And all these podcasts, they they cultivate a culture of, of opportunity and I think a false sense of reality that not many of us are going to make $10 million over an internet business. And that's really what the the hope is when people make these shows. So I'm not a fan of them. I work with them in this context, of course. But I'm more of a believer that you should try to act a certain way and think a certain way and focus on the principles that I love about the influencer economy and then business will come. And, and that's how I've operated. I've paid my dues a lot through the years working for crazy startups and um, ones that are massively successful. And, you know, I think... Uh, I'm proud of my career, and I wouldn't be able to take this leap into the influencer economy if I hadn't worked for 15 years and had a professional experience from startups to corporations to performing stand-up comedy. And I took a calculated risk because I had all that lined up. And I think that it's an exciting time for creators, but I want to create a show that gives people an opportunity to listen and learn and think differently about their own life and hopefully get principles and get ideas and get concepts that lead to money but aren't necessarily like oh yeah this is how you become a millionaire because i don't want to shark tank my way to the top of the world so anyway that's my own my rant for the day hopefully uh you're still tuning in but uh i saw mark Merritt over the weekend i met him at the la podcast festival he's not on my podcast yet uh, i didn't ask him actually i don't think it's i don't want to pitch people it doesn't work especially like at a conference or festival like the la podcast festival where i met him i talked to him told him about the book 
told him he's in the book with Bill Simmons and the Vlog Brothers. He'd never heard of uh, the Vlog Brothers who, or uh, Hank and John Green. And I'm not sure <laughs> what he thought about VidCon with them as well. So got the idea out there. He's excited to read it. So he said, talked to Brendan already, his producer. So I'm psyched about the WTF chapter. If anyone wants to help credit at the book, email me, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com, as always. We'll give you a shout-out in the book if you help me with a chapter and make a suggestion that I use. So without further ado, Julia is almost two. She's about 21 months, saying a lot more words and going to have a birthday party for her soon, hopefully keeping it low-key since parties can get out of control. Without further ado, heading over to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. 